1: My voice praises you.
0: I am so grateful that the God we serve is a jealous God. That means he cares. And jealousy is an emotional word. He also feels. He doesn't just care. He doesn't just take care of us. He is jealous for our love, for our commitment to him. we have a certain amount of intellectual content in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the whole story of salvation. And that intellectual content is very important. It creates the doctrinal framework in which we hang the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's not primarily about an intellectual framework. It is about how God feels about you and me. He is a jealous God. He wants his bride for himself. He doesn't want his bride stolen away by a serpent, by a dragon, by an ugly piece of filth. He wants us for himself. And so this incredible rescue operation was put in place called the plan of salvation. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to come back and deal with the Ten Commandments. That was such an important time. God was now going to give these people an intellectual framework but also a very emotional framework within which to operate as they grew a whole new culture based on the word of God. It was a worldview given to them by the Almighty God. It was no longer the worldview of the Egyptians or the Persians. It was the worldview of the Lord God himself. Now, he told Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud. I'm going to let the people hear me speaking to you so that they'll put their trust in you. Now, go and tell the people to consecrate themselves today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. Have them be ready on the third day, because on that day, I'm coming down on Mount Sinai. I'm going to be seen by all the people. Now, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. There was a thick cloud over the mountain. And there was this trumpet blast. It was so loud, it felt like it pierced the very soul, the very heart. It made your insides vibrate. Moses, Then led the people out of the camp. Two million people. He led them out of the camp to meet with God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai is covered with smoke and flashing lightning and and rumbles and earthquakes. The whole mountain is shaking. The ground they stand on is shaking. The smoke is going up into the sky as high as they can see. It's like a a furnace blazing with fire. And that trumpet sound louder and louder as this great trumpet of God is blown. Then Moses spoke, and God answered. And God began to speak to all of the people. He spoke what we call the Ten Commandments You shall have no other gods beside me. We spoke about that yesterday. In summary, He's saying, I am to be your only God. I want the very focus of your heart to be on me. I don't want you to be focused on anyone or anything other than on me. I am to have the very heart of your being. You are to give yourself to me. There are to be no foreign wives or husbands. You're not to give yourself to the television or to the sports. You're not to give yourself to the world, the flesh, or the devil, to obey the lusts thereof. You are to give yourself to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now we come to the second great commandment. The first four commandments are going to deal strictly with our relationship with God. The last six are going to deal with our relationship with one another. The second great commandment begins in Exodus 20, the fourth verse. Let me read it for you, and then we're going to dive in. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, there are several things that just immediately leap out for me as I read this command. First of all, in the first commandment, have no other gods before me, not gods that you created, but gods of any kind, any person, anything. Nothing is to hold supremacy. God is to have everything. But in the second great commandment, he's warning about what we choose to make for ourselves, what we create. And he's saying, don't create anything that you're going to worship. He talked about how the children of Israel would take a block of wood part of it they would use for their fireplace to cook their food, and the other part they would make into an idol. And God said, how does that make any sense? You're worshiping something that that you use to heat your food, to fry your food. How does that make sense? Well, God is saying, look, examine what you make, and don't make idols or images. The Amish people don't like to have their pictures taken. In fact, they'll rebuke you if they catch you taking their pictures. Why? Because they don't want to create images. They don't want to create something that will be an image because they believe that it's wrong to create images. But of course, today in our culture, we have become a culture of images of pictures some people don't even read anymore they just look at videos they're consumed with images with pictures pictures are not reality god is reality he's saying you shall not bow down to them And you shall not worship them. The word worship simply means to give worth to. To give worth to. You shall not bow down to them or give worth to them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Oh, I like that. I like that. I like that God is a jealous God but it also comes with a warning because it says he will punish the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And we see America being punished today for our sin and the sin of our fathers. We see America being destroyed today with drought, destruction of crops, Destruction of oil refineries, so gas prices are rocketing because of the great hurricane that swept in and shut down our oil refineries in the south. We're watching as a so-called pandemic comes and people take vaccines that are not vaccines, that are experimental. We watch as bait-and-switch happens as the government is dishonest with the people, as they lie to us, as they're utterly corrupt in the executive branch and in the legislative branch and in the judicial branch. It's all filled with corruption. America's being punished. That's what it said he would do. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And believe me, God is hated in America today. Jesus Christ is hated in America by many, many people. And... There are many false Jesuses today. We'll talk about that later. By the way, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for, for joining us today. It's going to get pretty intense and pretty deep. So hang on and stay with me until we get through this. There's nothing more important in the Old Testament than the commandments written by the finger of God on tables of stone. These are absolutes. Now notice, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments who love me and keep my commandments? When I read that, immediately I said, wait, 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 wait. I've heard that before. Where have I heard that? And I immediately went to my scriptures and turned to the passages in the New Testament that reflect the same gospel reality that Jesus taught. I'll show you. The whole focus of the book of John is about loving the Lord Jesus Christ and keeping his commandments. John 13th chapter, verse 34. I'm giving a new commandment to you that you may love one another as I loved you so that you also may love one another. All men will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love among one another i was just a boy my father took a trip to washington dc and he went to a large church there called the sligo church we had a very small church maybe a hundred members when he came home, I said, Daddy, what was Sligo Church like? He said, Well, Raymond, I had to put on a pair of ice skates and my overcoat to go down the aisles. I said, Daddy, what are you talking about? He said, It was cold. It was ice cold. It was not like our church. Well, many years later, I would be an associate pastor at the Sligo Church. And I want to tell you, it was still cold. Ice cold. The sign by which men will know that we are disciples is that you may have love among one another. but let's move on. In chapter 14, your heart must not be troubled. You must believe in God and you must believe in me. There are many dwelling places in my father's house. If not, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. Even if I may go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to be with me. Remember, in the second commandment, it says that God is a jealous God. He wants us for himself. But then he goes on. Verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then we keep moving in this chapter. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, the one believing in me, the works that I do, that one will also do what I've been doing and even greater things than these because I'm going to my Father. In fact, whatever you may ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you may ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you may love me, you must keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper, that he may remain with you forever, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world is not able to receive because it does not perceive him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you, and he will remain in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. I'm going to be very honest with you. Most of my life, I have felt like an orphan. When I was 13 years of age, my parents sent me off to a boarding boarding school from the farm. And there I was in a very sophisticated environment. And I was a poor farm boy wearing bib overhauls. Not the the short jeans that people were wearing, the waist-high jeans. I was terrified of that place and of those people. And it's not changed. For many years, I would have fear as the primary driver of my life. I felt like an orphan. Yes, I went home occasionally on vacations, but summers I had to work to pay for my education. So I was in education from the age 13 all the way through grad school. And then immediately after grad school, went to a pastorate and began to work. Fear was the driving force in my life. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be somebody. And so I rallied myself and my courage and I went after it with everything I had, grabbing everything I could grab for myself. It would take many years before God would begin to deal with the fear that terrorized my heart and made me feel like an orphan. But there's another factor in all of this. And that factor I'm I'm hesitant to even speak it. Most of us in America have been a long way from Jesus. We've been filled with doctrinal information, we've been filled with ideas, but we have been compromised we have tried to wrap Jesus around a worldly heart. We've tried to wrap the Christian gospel around a worldly lifestyle, making a few adjustments, but not really being committed to Jesus Christ, not being totally sold out to him, not walking in Sacrificial love, one with another. Living for ourselves, doing as I did. Reaching out and grasping for the next opportunity. The next big deal, whatever that was for you or for me. Thinking that we had to go for the gusto. We had to try to win. We had to be successful. Our life we thought hung on being somebody. I know many pastors today. In fact, I just talked with a dear brother who described the pastor of his church, who in utter disregard for his wife, everything's about being successful in the church and having a good reputation in the church and, and doing everything that he's supposed to do so the bishop will approve of him and recognize him. My heart is grieved by all of this. Remember, God is a jealous God. He looks at this. So many churches that I know of are filled with corruption, cheating, Lying, stealing, grabbing for ambitious ideals, trying to be somebody, trying to please the congregation, trying to keep the cash flow going, trying to run the business, trying to keep the programs all spinning in the air. If you may love me, you must keep my commandments. Isn't that what... The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, that was Jesus speaking to Moses. You must love me. You must keep my commandments. And he promised that he would send his Holy Spirit to be with us. For many years, I felt like there was no Holy Spirit presence in my life. And I agonized over it. I can tell you today, I'm not an orphan. Fear is not a part of my life. The Lord has come and given me such love. And the Holy Spirit has come and dwelt inside of me, and I in Him. Now I know that I have the victory in Jesus. I want you to know that too. I want you to not be so concerned about getting everything right. I want you to know this person, Jesus, who loves you. But who will punish you. Who will say, you must change what you're doing. You must leave your sin. Listen, verse 21, John fourteen twenty-one. The one having my commandments and keeping them, that one is the one loving me. Don't tell me you love Jesus and then you go and walk in the ways of the world. Don't tell me you love Jesus and then you're greedy for gain or you're consumed with fear. Don't tell me you love Jesus. And you're still so far away from him that he won't manifest himself to you. He won't show himself to you. I want to tell you the greatest joy of my life is Jesus showing himself to me. How does he do that? Well, he does that in marvelous ways. When my late wife was alive, she would show me she loved me by walking with me and holding my hand. She would show me that she loved me by cooking these amazing gourmet meals. She showed me she loved me by Joining me in the service of Jesus. She showed me in so many ways that she loved me. Well, Jesus has done the same thing to me. He's shown me in so many ways that he loves me. He carries me. He provides for me. He provides for this radio broadcast. In so many ways, he's been a comfort to my heart. When fear begins to rise up, and often when I awaken in the night, maybe 3, 3.30 a.m., if I don't quickly go to prayer, fear will begin to bite at the edges of my mind. I've learned to cast that away. And say, in the name of Jesus, I rejoice because he is with me. He is carrying me. I can trust him. The ones having my commandments and keeping them, that one is the one loving me. And the one loving me will be loved by my father. And I will love him. And we will manifest. I will manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone may love me, he will keep my words. You want to read the words of Jesus? Read what is called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the fifth chapter. Read it on your knees at your bedside. Read it aloud. Those are the words of Jesus that he wants you to keep. If anyone may love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. We will come to him and will make a dwelling place with him. Please, I'm wanting you to catch something today, and I don't know how quite to talk about it. It's almost something you have to catch rather than describe and, and analyze. How could I describe and and analyze the love my precious late wife had for me. Oh, it was intellectual, but it was much more than intellectual. It was at the deepest place of my knowing in my heart that I was loved, that I was precious. You see, How will you know if you're obeying the words of Jesus? If you don't read the words of Jesus, if you don't meditate on those words, if you don't spend time meditating and reading the words of Jesus. The one not loving me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's, the one living, sent me. I've spoken these things to you while remaining with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that one will reach you all, and he will teach you all things that will remind you of all the things that I've said to you. I leave you peace. I give to you my peace, not as the world gives do I give you, Your heart must not be troubled, and it must not be afraid. Jesus is coming again for us, and he's coming soon. I'm I'm expecting him in my life. I don't expect to ever die. I expect to be translated to heaven without seeing death. That's my hope. Chapter 15. I'm the vine, the true one, and my father is the vine dresser. We could read this whole wonderful, wonderful statement, and tomorrow we're going to deal with it. But let me read verse 7. If you remain in union with me, and my words remain in you, you will ask whatever you may desire, and it will happen for you. By this my Father was glorified that you may bear much fruit and you will prove to be my disciples. Verse 10. If you may keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept the commandments of my Father and remain in His love. I've told you, these things so that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. My commandment is this, that you may love one another as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone may lay down his life in behalf of his friends. And you are my friends if you may do whatever I command you. I talk to people who say, Jesus is my best friend. I want to be friends with Jesus. But they don't do what Jesus says you're supposed to do. They disobey. They're filled with their own lust of their heart. They love the world. They love the things of the world. They love the the ambitions of the world to get rich. Many of them will say, I want to get rich so I can fund the work of the gospel guess what? Jesus doesn't need your money to fund the work of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the power that works out what the gospel is going to be, and he moves in those he chooses to give as he chooses for them to give. It's not a matter of, I have to go out and find some wonderful business opportunity, and I have to become a millionaire, and then I can go and finance radio. No! Are you kidding me? That's worldly ambition. It's wickedness before God. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with a man, an older man, weeping before me because he was called to the gospel ministry, but he thought he did not want to be paid by a church. Instead, he wanted to have his own money. And so he went out and started a business, and the business ate him up. And now he's retirement age and he's too sick to be a pastor and too old to start. And he weeps. And he says, if only I had trusted the Lord and humbled my heart. What I'm trying to talk about today is when Jesus says he's a jealous God and that he will punish those who rebel against him. He means just that. If you fill your time with the video games, you fill your time with the entertainment of our age, the movies, the videos, the YouTubes, you fill your time struggling for money. You fill your time building your house, planning your next great adventure. You fill your time traveling. You fill your time with all of the loves and ambitions of your heart. Don't tell me you love Jesus. Don't tell me you want to be his friend because you're lying. You want an add-on Jesus, not the Jesus of Scripture. The Jesus of Scripture is not an add-on Jesus. He, he is not spray paint on the outside of a pagan heart. He demands that we make a decision. Day by day, moment by moment, that we will love Jesus Christ with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our mind, and we will obey His words. We will let go of bitterness and anger and pride. No addiction can remain in our hearts. You can't be a glutton and be a servant of the most high God. You can't be fat and sleek and be a servant of the most high God. You can't walk in wickedness and say, I'm a Christian. That's not how it works try saying to your wife do you mind honey if, if i take the weekend off i have a i have another woman i'd like to spend the weekend with and yes we'll have sex together and we'll do this and we'll do that really you think you're going to be free to have another woman in your life your wife is not going to agree She's going to throw you out. Jesus will not agree either. Jesus will not allow you to walk in the world and in the spirit at the same time. Verse 7, chapter 15. If you remain in union with me, The problem is, can I be really straight with you? Many of you are filled with knowledge about the gospel, but you are not in union with Jesus. You don't recognize that He is a righteous God who is jealous for His bride. And if you spurn his love by going your own way and walking in arrogance and bitterness and disobedience, you think you can shack up with whomever you want to shack up. You think you can go spend whatever time you want to go spend on your pleasures. You think you can spend your time making the money so you can buy your lifestyle You think you can go out and just buy that new car and go in debt? You think you can just do what you want to do with your time and your energy and your money? Then don't tell me you want to be a friend of Jesus. Now, if the Lord directed you to buy that car, that's great. That's wonderful. He'll pay for it as well. But if you did it out of your own lust of your heart, It's not going to work. That's not how the gospel works. Please understand what I'm trying to say to you today. The gospel is very, very personal. The gospel is intimacy with God. It is cutting off the world, the flesh, and the devil, and saying, I'm not going to walk in that anymore. I'm done with it. I'm not going to walk in my lust. Lust for, I don't care what it is, cigarettes, drugs, success, prosperity, to be right, to be somebody. I don't care what it is. You're not free to go walk in the lust of that. Not call yourself a friend of Jesus. John 15. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. You must remain in my love. If you may keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept the commandments of my Father and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. My commandment is this, that you may love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that that one may lay down his life in behalf of his friends. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you may go and bear much fruit, and your fruit may remain, that whatever you may ask the Father in my name he may give to you. I command these things to you so that you may love one another. I hope you're hearing today. This is not an intellectually difficult sermon to understand. It's very simple. We serve a personal God. Jesus is fully man and fully God and he remains that way today as he sits in the command center of the tabernacle in heaven, as he oversees the salvation process, as he administers the blood of the covenant, his own personal blood, to wipe away your sins and to restore you to his kingdom, as he administers his love and compassion and mercy in your life, There is a place we have not even yet begun to imagine we can enter. It is a place of such beauty and such depth and such compassion that it utterly changes us as we begin to get just a glimmering of it. And can I tell you, I have just a glimmering of that astonishing compassion and love of Jesus Christ. never forget the day. I was a senior in college. I was studying theology as my major and communications as my minor. And I was walking down the hall, and the door was open to a classroom, and I heard the tone of a man's voice speaking, and I stopped at the door and listened. It was a pastor Minchin, and he was speaking about Jesus Christ. I'd never heard a man talk about Jesus like he did. He was an old man. And he was speaking about Jesus in such tenderness of tone, that I began to weep standing in the hallway, because I knew I didn't know this Jesus that he was speaking of. I had never experienced this compassion. and I'd never experienced this overwhelming sense of love. I was walking in fear and trembling. I was afraid. I was ambitious. I was full of myself. But, oh, that man was so humble and so filled with compassion and love as he as he talked about Jesus and what Jesus did while he walked on the earth, how he treated the man at the pool of Bethesda, how he treated the woman caught in adultery, how he treated the leper as he embraced the leper in his filth and healed him. All I could do was stand at the door and weep. I'd never experienced this kind of love. I was, I was rather cold, articulate, intellectual, studying theology. My brother, and my sister, I still study theology. But now I don't study it to argue. I don't study it to prove somebody right or wrong. I study it because I want to know about my Jesus. I want to be filled with his presence. I want to be filled with his glory. I want to be with Jesus. I am jealous for Jesus, even as he is jealous for me. I want you to have this. I want your heart to be so filled with compassion, That when you speak about Jesus, people will see the tender heart. They will see the compassion. They will see and feel you're doing things for them that changes their lives. I don't want you to be afraid anymore. I want you to give up your fear. It doesn't help you. I don't want you to be cold and intellectual and hard-edged. I don't want you to be brittle. I want your heart to be soft, kind, full of compassion and mercy. I want you to speak words of encouragement, not of judgment. I don't want your tongue to be the tongue of a poison viper. I want you to be filled with the healing power of Jesus Christ. I want you to be filled with his mercy. Well, tomorrow we're going to go to the third commandment. Read it ahead of time. We're going to talk about it. You're welcome to write to me. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Pastor Ray Greenley, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If this love that I've been talking about is attractive to you and you'd like to come to the prayer chapel, you would be welcomed warmly. As I told one newcomer this last week, the first time you come, we'll treat you like a guest, but the second time you come, you're just family. You're included. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you find all the information about where we meet how you can contact me. I'd love to meet you. If you're hungry for this kind of love with Jesus, if you're hungry for righteousness, you're hungry for a new life, come and worship with us. And listen tomorrow again. Invite a friend to listen with you. I think you'll find tomorrow's broadcast very much like today's let's pray almighty god i thank you for each person who has listened today i ask lord that you cause us not to judge others but with compassion and mercy to reach out and enfold them in the love that you've given to us i pray lord that we can be productive for your kingdom Lord, many are filled with such legalistic ideas about how they must walk and what they must do and how they have to pay the consequence for their sin that they're destroying their families. Lord, I pray for your mercy today. And I thank you for your jealous love. I bless your holy name. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'd like to talk with you soon.